Manufacturing Hub. We are back virtually after the amazing panel discussion that we had a couple of weeks ago at SPS. Today, we've got a, a really cool kind of recap of the factory of the future, which is the theme that we've been doing in the month of November. We've got John and Sarah, who we'll go ahead and introduce in just a minute. I do want to say, if you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. We do our very best to have kind of a, a lively discussion almost every Wednesday at about four o'clock East Coast time. So if you guys are new here, if you've been here before, please go ahead and feel free to go jump in the comments in the chat, go ask questions, go chat in and amongst yourselves. If you guys go drop those questions, we'll do our best, assuming that the, the, the LinkedIn gods give us the ability to go pull the chat in, as we hope to do, to go ahead and answer those questions. If we don't get to all of the questions or some of the questions are super technical or we've got some technical issues on the internet side, we will do our very best to go answer those at the end after the show. Without further ado, I want to officially welcome everyone to Manufacturing Hub. My name is Dave. This guy, I'm flipped. This guy over here is Vlad. This is episode 145 of Manufacturing Hub, and we've got two awesome guests on today. We'll start with John. John him has been at Siemens forever and has been in the industry maybe longer than everyone listening combined has has been, as, as he will tell us in just a moment. I do want to point out that John was here with us on episode 39 of Manufacturing Hub, so slightly over 100 episodes ago, John was here. And so he'll certainly get into some of his background with here. If you want to listen to more about John, go ahead and check out that episode 39 as well. We also are joined by Sarah McGee. Sarah, John, welcome. Thank you both for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having us today. Excited to be here. No, I think it's going to be a really good conversation. Really looking forward to it. Before we dive into maybe the technical aspects and the future of automation, Sarah, did you want to give us a broader introduction? How did you get started in automation and ultimately what was your career progression at Siemens? Yeah, I'd love to. So I think I got started at automation from a pretty early age. I think those who exemplify some talents in math and science early on maybe get pushed towards the engineering realm. And from an early age, I was doing after school activities in STEM and eventually did the STEM program. I, I can't remember what exactly it's called that a lot of high schools in the U.S. go through, was able to take classes there, start to begin my programming journey, programming robots, using some ladder logic there, using some more formal coding. I did C++, doing some programming there, and then leading into my engineering degree in college at Texas A&M University, where I graduated. And then being able to start my automation journey, hearing about Siemens, actually starting in a different division in Siemens and our smart infrastructure division, who does a little bit different work, but then getting the opportunity to join digital industries, the, the department I'm in now, starting out in one of Siemens many development programs, specifically an engineering development program that targets technical marketing. So jobs that we consider product managers going into product marketing managers, people who have more of a business interest maybe, but still have that very strong technical background because in Siemens, we're working with so many products that you need to have that understanding. And then from there, I had the opportunity to get exposure to a new product that Siemens was developing at the time called Smatic AX. And after seeing that presentation, we'll get to talk a little bit more out today. I won't reveal too much, but I was really excited about what I saw, expressed that to some people. And a couple months later was able to interview for a product owner role, which is similar to a product manager, but I have a little bit more responsibilities with the development teams. And so that is the role that I'm in today. 
if I can ask you a follow-up on, on that, so someone who maybe is a little bit less familiar and who's a bit more, I want to say, currently in the engineering role or maybe studying in engineering and is trying to understand maybe the differences between product management and marketing roles, like maybe mm -hmm. could you elaborate about the differences between the two if someone's maybe looking into a career in uh, one of those? Yeah, yeah. So I'd say that a lot of times these two kind of work really closely together. The product managers may be more responsible from a product cradle to grave. So we look at, they take it over once product hits development, they're responsible for getting that in customers' hands, managing things, uh, problems that arise with the product and any implementation problems and targeting. They really have the best understanding of that product. And then they look at the marketing team who has the best understanding of the market. And those two really work together in order to get the product in the proper customer hands and the customers that really need it, that really want it. And those that's how they work together. I'd say, like I said before, marketing is really more exemplary of the market. They, they know the market well. They know the tools needed in order to get it in front of the customer, whereas the product manager just knows maybe the use cases and where to place that. So the two work really well together, and oftentimes you can cross back and forth. Yeah, And, and I really appreciate that because I think that oftentimes, at least the engineers that I talk to, don't realize that there's maybe opportunities outside of a pure, let's say, instrumentation engineer and pure controls Let's say at a plant level. So I think it's very important to have these conversations and explain that there are other roles if you maybe are more customer inclined, if you're willing to be a little bit more, I want to say, I want to say charismatic and talking to people versus just focusing on the technology. So I think it's uh, really great. Certainly appreciate that. John, you've given us a very lengthy explanation of your background on the previous episode, but I think it's been a while. So could you give us a bit of a reintroduction, if you will, on that side? How did you get into automation and ultimately a lot of your years of experience in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I started 35 years ago and I was in college and did a co-op internship in a plant and fundamentally started right on the machine that was getting its first automation PLC landed in it as a retrofit. And I started right off in the ground running with my interest in being in a manufacturing environment and programming the PLC. It's one of those things where you see the light, even though you didn't know what it was all about because in college it was so electrical engineering focused. Um, but yeah, I, I knew the minute I did that first semester at the co-op, that's where I wanted to go. And then I did uh, half my career, fundamentally 15 years with Alan Bradley. And then again, I saw the light when I was introduced, <laughs> when I went to Germany and tried to make a major automotive, try to use Alan Bradley. And I've been switched on with Siemens ever since. And, and the cool thing, what Sarah mentioned is there's a, there's all facets of those jobs. I, I was the plant industry, the plant manufacturing automation guy working with the electricians, just programming the machine. And that was the most fun and the hardest work sitting there at the machine and making it run. And then product management engineering in my automotive career in Detroit with Alan Bradley through those years. But like Sarah, I went to Detroit. I went to Germany and worked with development. And the greatest part about working with the development teams is a lot of the developers are capable of creating the product like Somatic AX and capable of uh, creating the inner workings of TI Portal the, the way they have done it. But they actually probably not too often worked in the real world of deploying the automation. So when you're sitting there programming some ladder logic and testing their stuff, they look at it like it's totally Greek and they don't understand it. 
So your role, like Sarah's role, is to bridge what we see in the market, what we see our customers looking for us to be able to provide to them. She's got to articulate that through the features and requirements into the product as a product owner. So it's fun in all of those roles to facilitate the ultimate customer needs all the way through to what the product delivers. And if I can follow up, I guess, as a broad question to the both of you, as we talk about the factory or automation, I want to say, of the future. And we've certainly seen a lot of different technologies, I want to say, at SPS, and we can go in many different tangents. But what do you see as, not necessarily, I want to say, the changes, but I want to start off with the challenges that maybe the end users or systems integrators are facing right now that require some of these new technologies that we are again, seeing coming out of SPS and other trade shows in general, what kind of a, a challenge are they looking to solve that I, I personally think is very different in some ways post COVID as well. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I, I'll go first. It's, it, there's a lot of challenges regarding uh, faster to market, uh, more mm -hmm. competitive to market, more autonomous, where there's more tangibility and more knowledge of what's going on in the process more continuous integration where they know what needs to be optimized. There's the introduction of AI into the whole story. So there's a whole realm of this innovations and technologies that are being challenged to do that, that traditional PLC to be beyond what we've done in the past where we get it up and running. Additionally is the reef of the workforce, the resources. And I've seen it over the 30, 35 years that I've done it is you look at what you're doing in the PLC and how you're doing it compared to how it really should be done in that IT space where you're managing it more. The whole, I look back 15, 20 years and it all is seemingly starting to fit in a real true cohesive strategy where I think Siemens really pulls it all together to meet the requirements of what the industry is really doing. It, and in my past, it's been a slow transition. The introduction of the PLC, the introduction of the HMI, safety and Ethernet into that space took a very long time. But the generation of today, they don't want to wait. They want to embrace the new stuff. And fortunately, companies such as Siemens and the other guys are building it into the chat GPT and AI and all these things are coming to reality now. There's no five years from now. But the cool part is I can still do the traditional stuff in the mix. I'll say, I'll make the comment, John. I saw the demos of AI at SPS, just as Dave even had like a presentation with them. I think it's, the word would not be that I'm worried, but I think it's going to change how we develop software. And I don't know like for sure how it's going to change, let's say in three years. But I think, I guess the job that I was also doing, which was programming PLCs and HMI, is going to be vastly different from what it is today. So I, I guess like I'm optimistically positive for now. I think it's very interesting. Sarah, any thoughts on your end when talking maybe to customers? Yeah, I would say I reiterate pretty much what John said. I think it, a lot of it stems from technological advancements, but it's been maybe more focused on because of that kind of skill gap, that labor shortage that we talk about. We need to find other ways to fill these types of roles to fill these kind of gaps that we see in the industry. There's, I can't remember the number, but there's some millions of jobs that have been left unfilled 
for the past however many years. And I, we don't really foresee filling that number of jobs. So being able to apply some of the things that we typically see in software development practices in order to be able to fill that gap in a different way, maybe not by skill, but by different development practices, by maybe using some software development tools, type of tools, talking about Somatic AX as a engineering development tool and being able to kind of program in that way. It's just another way to fill that gap, another way for people to innovate faster, adapt to the changes of the market. I think John really said it well, and I re- reiterate the same things and just what I said there. Absolutely. No, I, I think all of these are really good points. So John earlier talked a little bit about product owner versus product manager and the development. I do want to throw out, uh, so we had Burned Rifle on episode 99. And if you guys haven't listened to, I think Burned is like one of my most favorite people to, to talk to whenever I see him at a show. And I think I've seen him at three or four this year. He spent, I think about, five to 10 years of his career developing the, the platform that is now the S7-1500, right? And, and he walked us through that. And there was, after the, this 10 or 15 minutes, I think I just looked at him and I'm like, wow, Burn, that's like an entire career right there. And then you've done other things for, for the better part of, of the last 20 years. So I would say if you guys haven't listened to episode 99 with Burn Dreifel, please go ahead and check that out. That, that was a super interesting conversation, especially on the product development side, especially on the engineering and product development side. And I think from my perspective, that is one of the things that sets Siemens apart for, from some other major brands that we see in the U.S. is that continued engineering and development internally and you know that they've already got the next two three five generations of tools built into that i have lots of thoughts on on the ai i'm super bullish on the the concept of that i I think we we talked to to lots of people here and the kind of reoccurring theme is the fact that there are not enough people to go fill the jobs right we cannot snap our fingers and have people that can do the, the work that, that John did and to some extent Vlad did for, for 10, 20, 30 years of their career. So if we can have tools that get us 80% of the way there, then we can bring in a much smaller percentage of, of highly skilled people and help get over the, the work that is commoditized across the market. So for me, I think that's exciting. I, I think that's where I see a lot of these tools going in the next two to three years is maybe we get to that point. I don't know if artificial intelligence is ever going to fully program PLCs, but if it does, we've got the opportunity to take a lot of really good PLC programmers and let them play around with some other potentially much more interesting uh, tools and technologies and provide a bunch more value there. But Sarah, I want to go back to you. We we talked a bit about Somatic AX, and I know we had this discussion earlier. I didn't particularly know everything that was Somatic AX, and so... I'm going to imagine most of our listeners don't know what that is as well. Can you can you give us a little yes. bit of an overview, please? Yeah, I know I've been mentioning it, but didn't want to get too far in detail to sway us off topic. But essentially what Somatic AX is an expansion of Siemens IT portfolio. So as we talk about filling this IT OT gap, I know it gets thrown out there so much, but what we think of as a traditional OT environment, traditional automation programmers, And then we look towards software development and looking at what we can implement. We as a company reacted to this market and started to develop something that would fit this need. And so we have Somatic AX, which is an IT-like environment or an IT engineering tool. 
So it's basically for those of you who may be familiar with like different coding or have coded before, maybe in your free time, maybe you do it as work, VS Code. So it's a proven platform. I think I saw some statistic that like 95% of computer programmers have at some point used VS Code or use it as their main coding platform. And we really didn't want to change anything that people were doing. We didn't want to make it something new really to learn. We want it to be intuitive. We wanted to slow down that ramp up period that people often find when they're maybe going into a new programming environment. So building it off of a platform that people are already using, the, the target market we're looking to hire in this is already using. And so Somatic AX just really allows for the the use of these skilled individuals in an environment that maybe we didn't traditionally see them in. Doing the automation. And, and that's the key is, whereas we traditionally use uh, TI portal step seven for programming the PLC. Now in the somatic AX, it's augmented where I actually do the design and engineering of my PLC solution yeah. in the somatic AX. But instead of running through a ladder logic program in step seven, I'm writing VS code in that environment that an IT experienced person would be used to. And they're basically using Somatic AX to download to the PLC. Yeah. And we do it in a way that really considers still what the industry needs. So we're following IEC standard. We're using ST language in order to write, but it allows us to use object-oriented program, which is object-oriented programming, which is an IT type of thing that we see that's very useful in terms of modularizing, reusing code, making code easier to read, as well as because we're in flat files, source control management, change management is a lot easier to track in this world we live in, makes it a lot easier for remote teams to work together, talking about collaborating on code, being able to modify and track what everyone's doing and really collaborate in the way that's effective and efficient. These are all things that Somatic AX allows, all things that I think we, we've been needing or some people have been needing in, in this market. And I think this is really allowing for that, a change that I, I was really excited to see when I saw that. I, I mentioned before when I was first presented Somatic AX, when I first saw it, that I my eyes lit up. I was like, this is what I was missing coming into the industry, coming from school. You're with the latest technology. You see all these innovations. And, and not to say that stepping into what like an automation world feels like a step back, but it was just very different. It wasn't maybe what I expected coming out of school. So seeing something that was really familiar to me, something that I, I could really see the future in was so exciting. And it just made it so I reflected on how good of a company it is to work for because I seeing these innovations, seeing that we're really going where the market needs, where the future is going, I, I think it just made me feel like I was really in the right place. And I guess just so I summarize, and again, Sarah and John, feel free to jump in. I think it's important to make this point very clear for the audience for whom we've demonstrated a little bit earlier this year what Industrial Edge was. Right? And so Somatic AX is different in the sense that you can program in VS Code, as you mentioned, and then you can run that code on a PLC. Right, And so you can ultimately run that also on the virtual PLC, but the demo we did was on Industrial Edge, which required different type of hardware, which was the essentially industrial IPC. But in this case, we're talking about VS Code, for which you can then install the extension for Siemens. You can write your code in structured text, and you can download that onto an S7 1500 PLC um, at this moment. 
just so exactly. everyone is clear what good yeah it, it's separate from industrial edge but i wanted to clarify one point it's not necessarily an extension for vs code it's just built on top of a vs code platform to make it something that's very you look at them side by side that they look the same you think you've just got an ax logo over top of where you would expect the vs code logo to but it still allow it still allows for the extensions that you can use in vs code it's just built on top of that platform and i guess the other the other thing is even from the perspective of what I know as far as step seven TI portal in the controller, when Sarah and her colleagues, James, do a presentation in Somatic AX, I see things in there because of the way the Somatic AX is developed. I see the palette for the PLC. I see the system diagnostics that are automatically generated in the PLC. I see the run stop mode. I see the same things that I expect to see in my step seven engineering environment. I see it in the Somatic AX because really? Somatic AX, the objective is to be a design tool for programming the PLC. So it's got to do some of the familiar things that the PLC guy expects to see along with writing my code in a better editor or a more advanced editor that fits that application of DS code. So it's pretty powerful in that aspect. And the other it's tool like Sarah was trying to mention was once the VPLC sits on the edge ecosystem, that's mm -hmm. just another device that we can hit by downloading the program to it. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. and so again, like maybe doubling down on that like current timeline, right? So I think we talked a little bit off stream. There was a portion that was released a year ago. There was a new announcement, or I guess a new version released uh, earlier a couple of weeks ago. Maybe can you paint us a picture of what is possible today? And ultimately the dangerous question, I know you probably know a lot more mm -hmm. than all four of us in this room, but <laughs> I know this... I got to be careful exactly. what I'm saying. <laughs> exactly. So maybe whatever you can tell us on the future of the platform would yeah. be interesting as well. Yeah. So what we released a year ago at SPS, and I'm glad you guys got the chance to go. I'm really hoping I'll be able to make it myself there one day. But what we released last year at SPS was what we call our Somatic AX library mm -hmm. use case. So one of the ways we have been developing differently in Somatic AX is doing stepwise approach and making sure at every step of the way that we're really aligned with our customers. And so one of the ways we do this is through uh, these use cases that we target around. And so the first one that we released was our Somatic AX library use case. So really what this meant was that we were able to program a library in Somatic AX and then we were able to wrap that library and pull it over to TIA portal as a global library. And then from there using that just as you would any other. And so that really is great for you look at some of these companies that have IT teams that maybe are working in library development, maybe want to have libraries that they're tracking within themselves and, and then being able to send those over to a, maybe an inline programmer that's actually applying those. And this allows for that. And so we do that validation there. We, that's been released in the European market in a limited sales release for the past year. Next step, we looked at, okay, expanding on that. And so what this meant and what we released at SPS two weeks ago, or what we announced at SPS two weeks ago was our Somatic AX direct loading use case. Because we're still limited in some of our functionality, we still are leveraging TIA portal in order to meet the needs of our customer in this next phase that we're in.
And so what this looked like is a full configuration of your program in Somatic AX, but still having to use TIA portal for hardware configuration, as well as technology objects for some of your motion functionality. So those two have really built on the use case that we're doing now. We've got customers who are using that, validating that, and that's where we're at this point. Still in a limited sales relief phase. So we're still working through all of this. We're still getting to full maturity. Uh, but we're consistently validating with customers. I think we had some really great presentations at SPS where our customers actually stood beside us and talked about the work that we were doing. And that sends a strong message that these people believe in the vision enough to, to take the time out of their day because they're, they're busy people. They've got so many things to worry about. And for them to take the day, to come spend the time with us, to talk about the work that we're doing, that benefits us. And for them to do it, I think that speaks so highly of the work that we're doing. And so what does this mean for the future? What does it mean next? We're working towards that Somatic AX as a full engineering tool. So then implement, being able to implement hardware configuration, eventually being able to implement motion and eventually being able to implement safety. We're still adding to these pieces, but we're working towards that full portfolio. Dave, what are your thoughts? Absolutely. So I think this is super exciting. I think everyone can tell it's exciting because there have been multiple points where the four of us have all tried to talk over each other, talking about how exciting it is. I do want to shout out Peter in the comments. Peter was at SPS. He and I barely missed each other. Peter, I'm not even going to attempt to butcher your, your last name, but he went and he wrote some of his first thoughts on how Siemens AX is going to change the industry. So we will go ahead and have that link in the show notes as well for anyone else who wants to listen and take a read at that. Thank you so much for the, the comments, Peter. I, I can see it on my restream. I can't see it on my LinkedIn at the moment. As soon as I can, I will go ahead and, and reply to that. So one, I think that, that's really interesting. I love getting all of those customer thoughts and feedbacks and the other technologists, as we saw a lot of SPS. And then two, I like seeing a, a company as large as Siemens going and leveraging some of these other tools, right? So, so other tools that more general programmers maybe who don't have the ot centric knowledge are going to be able to use easily i like things like version control i like things like global projects i like things like multiple programs can go work on the same programs at the same time in the past we've talked with other almost exclusively significantly smaller companies working towards bits and pieces of those and i think all of those concepts of, of version control of, of global projects are very exciting and so one i like to see it with the, with the company as large as siemens and two i like to to see it all the way down to the plc level because plc is probably an area that we will continue to one we're going to continue to need more people as as, as we've discussed in the past and, and two we're not going to have all of those people with all that ot centric knowledge in order to be able to go program or, or spend five or ten years trying to know how to program really well but before we go push code before we, we go push code lives I, i'm super excited about that john i want to get your perspective not necessarily as the siemens guy with all of the cool siemens demos but behind you but as that old grizzled industry veteran if you will the person <laughs> who grew up towards the, the beginning of ladder logic right now, i'm sure that you, you saw lots of relays and timers at, at different points in your career what are, are your thoughts of going from that to, to seeing what the future will become? What, what are your thoughts on that and maybe how the, the industry is going to accept newer tools like these? Yeah. Like I said, in the beginning, I was Sarah's age 35 years ago and I was bringing forth the PLC. And the cool thing is you become passionate about it, right? 
most of us are extremely passionate about what we do. If you look at the, the other ones of us that talk about what we're doing on LinkedIn and, and the other things, but I immediately recognize the power of the PLC over the relays and replacing the mechanical timers and counters that were all ancillary to the old relay cabinet. And I was a fluent ladder programmer. I just loved programming the PLC, but I was also always embracing the new stuff. So I could always visionarily see the, the concept of an HMI panel, even though the plant refused to take away the old control cabinet where the operator could see all the buttons because they were afraid to push the screen change to get to the next page. There was the concern. There was a concern of ethernet. There was the concern of safety in the PLC. For me, I was always able to see the technology and the innovations that needed to roll in. And I understood and respected the fact that it's a slow transition because in the industry, the, the primary goal of the manufacturing environment is production. And you don't want to risk that by the PLC going in default mode and having to reload it or the safety constantly just deactivating. So there's that fear, that concern about adopting it or the early adopters. So it's been very slow. And a lot of people, there's been times I'm sitting in meetings talking about wireless safety and people raise their hand and say, that's impossible. And I'm like, we've been doing that for 20 years, 20 years. And my argument has always been, I hate, it's passionate with the technology. And honestly, I pursued Siemens is if you look at what they do when they build the product, they make it service the industry market by ensuring that they've done their homework to ensure that the safety modules, the ethernet modules, the wireless technology is gonna fit to prov provide high availability and solutions. And if you look back 15 years when they introduced the PLM side and the NX tools in the process, they had a vision of where the mechanical guy was going to work closer with the automation guy. And to me, honestly, I've told people the story. I remember I was working in Germany with a programmer that was developing the step seven and trying to show him how to program some graph and some ladder logic. And he looked at me and he goes, I don't understand why you guys are programming this way when there's this other high tech programming language that we use. And I think he's probably the champion in headquarters that's running this show nowadays based on his questioning of why are we doing this? But some of us see it. Some of us see this stuff and can recognize the value. I, I still hear people and I see people that they are old school. They're not willing to change. And they're going to say, no, I still want ladder logic on my plant floor. I still want their traditional PLC and that kind of stuff. But honestly, fortunately with the workforce I see today with people like Sarah and the other ones, they embrace it. There's a lot of our customers that I've heard us uh, meet with and talk about that they want to do these advancing technologies and bring those in there. And, and the really significant thing, like we talked about before is at, here at Siemens, they don't isolate the, the installed base of what they're doing today and put them in a place where they have to move suddenly onto the new platform. They always do a pretty good job where it allows the, the manufacturing industry guys to make a transition, a roll in of the stuff. So I don't have to go to Somatic AX completely. I can merge it into my solution and start slowly with, let's bring in the libraries. Let's bring in the collaborative engineering. Let's do it on machine one. Let's do it for a certain component of this. And we can collaborate or coexist and bring the stuff in 
in a way that is less risk for the customer. And, and that's what my biggest thing in my whole industry was, I want to bring in the innovations, but I don't want to be responsible for trying to explain why a production is not capable of running. And that's what we're here to do is help ensure that we help customers make that transition into the future and feel confident that they have a secure stepping path through it. So it's pretty exciting stuff. And, and John, if I can make a comment on that too, I think the reality, so obviously when we're looking at maybe controls engineers and systems engineers, even if they don't see those aspects yet, I think the other side, which is IT getting more access to the plant floor is also very important, right? So I think that I've certainly had many conversations with my, I want to say more software oriented friends, and they would tell me, well, can you show us what's, what are you programming in? I show them ladder logic and I explain to them it is, I still think in C and C++ because I've done a lot of embedded systems in my college years, but yeah. they're absolutely afraid of jumping into that world, right? Because there's no kind of like bridge that gets them there. And even if they want to, let's say program and structure text on a PLC, then they get just intimidated by the hardware aspect. So I think any step that we can take in allowing them to easier access the systems is a huge win, right? So I think there's maybe two camps that we can split this offering into, right? So there's obviously the controls engineers guys, but also people from IT that have that background in software will have an easier time accessing the tools. Yeah, I really think it's a win for both sides and it is really truly allowing IT and OT to converge. I feel like that has been thrown out there for so long. People just sling the term around talking about everything's IT, OT convergence. But when you talk about the people actually working on it and allowing those people to work together on these systems, I feel like a product like Somatic AX actually embodies the convergence of the two. Yeah. And, and Sarah and I had a conversation with some real high tech folks earlier this week. And what was interesting is their conversations related to some of the process done by the industrial automation guy relates to the mechanical guy um, because of the two worlds come together for that. But some of the tasks and processes that are being done in the automation relate the automation guy to the IT guy. And that's where you've got the, the blending of both worlds together with what these solutions bring to market. Absolutely. I, I would say one of the things that Vlad and I saw at SPS, and I think we've seen over and over becoming more and more popular is the, the comments on how can we bring the, those IT people in, into the development. We, we saw a bunch uh, with, with Siemens, with this, with Mendix on edge, with a bunch of those. Um, I, I was at Tulip earlier this year and they have similar style tools. Um, I, I've seen a bunch of Microsoft and Microsoft Power Apps and, and kind of those conversations of, hey, can we leverage our almost exclusively less dollar per hour IT people in order to go build some of these solutions and then own it in-house. So with that, I think it, it's really important as we go through and as we move through. Um, That's a good comment. That's a good the LinkedIn comment right now. Absolutely. So I was looking to see who it is and it is Lewis. Let me go ahead and show this. And so he's saying that he saw a post uh, recently on LinkedIn talking about the comparisons of ladder versus structured tasks and other high level programming pros and cons. And someone commented that is that that is the system is programmed properly. The diagnostics are clearly written. 
a maintenance person shouldn't have to go into the software and troubleshoot the system, but should be able to troubleshoot via the HMI. What are your thoughts and comments on this? And I feel like this is like the, the, the most dangerous comment that anyone could possibly throw in there. So absolutely, I thank you for that. I would, I have said similar things to that in the past and people have looked at me like I have just committed a, a, a terrible act by saying, if something is programmed, we, we shouldn't have to go look at the, the ladder logic in order to uh, in order to go take a look at that. But I'm going to go let Vlad, from the person who has been the, the maintenance dude, almost exclusively who wants to go rip into the, the logic, because we all know logic changes just miraculously on the PLC sometimes. I'm going to let Vlad comment on that before we get any further in. Uh, that's, a, as you said, they have a very dangerous question. And having been a, a maintenance manager, I could see <laughs> like both sides of the coin. I think that you can certainly program systems extremely well, but I think you need to have certain, how to say it, endpoints exposed so that maintenance can come in and troubleshoot the system, right? So I don't think there's a, it's not really a black or white answer. I think that if done right, there's certain things that will change, but ultimately you have to have control over certain portions, right? And what I mean by that in practice is, as uh, Sara was mentioning earlier on, they had released like the library feature, right? And so mm -hmm. libraries and standardized code should be contained and that should technically not change. But then there would be certain, I wanna say more custom built elements that may not be, how to say it, as controlled that maintenance can, let's say adjust and let's call it fiddle with as they need in order to allow them to easier get out of harm's way, so to speak, right? So if you don't want it to be extremely rigid and locked out so that they can't do anything with uh, without any intervention, but you also don't want your code to be completely open in a sense that they can start uh, changing, like I said, some fundamental features of the system. I, I guess that's the best way I can put it. Yeah. Uh, and I think different companies have different processes with, with making those changes, but that's how I would uh, structure code in, in that regard. Yeah. I, what I would say is this, in my career, what I've seen is there's always certain code that should never be touched. There's certain code, mm -hmm. it's yep. fine that you can debug it, but there's no reason for this to ever be changed because once it's done, if it's changed, it's gonna impact the, the safety of the machine or the reliability of the equipment. And yep. And in some of those cases, maybe it's fine that it's readable. In other cases, it doesn't necessarily need to be readable or it could be locked down. There used to be ways where you could lock it out or do certain things to put a password on or whatever. But these tools that we're doing today, I think fit a model better where the, the certain part of the code that is the system functionality that should never be changed or doesn't need to be monitored that can be put into a library or managed by the Somatic AX. And I would feel confident as a maintenance manager, a production manager, that's not the part I should worry about. That always has to run. And that's what I bought from my supplier. But there are a, a couple of things that maybe could be tweaked, adjusted, a parameter that is related to the overall setup of the machine. And I think that's up to the, the controls guys to recognize, hey, I'm gonna leave that in ladder logic. I'm gonna leave that as something that could be adjusted and maintained by the the customer. But mm -hmm. these other things that are the high tech motion, the safety functionality with a username and login password and a checksum, these things are not going to change. And these things should only be changed by a validated, because now there's liabilities with things that who let that person change it. When I saw a programming station on, online 
connected to the machine and the automotive industry is like, why is this programming device plugged in mm -hmm. all the time online with the PLC? It just opens the opportunity. And I think I had a dialogue with somebody once when I said, why would you change it in the code? Cause I don't want to get up from the control room and go out there and fix it. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that too many times where we changed it in the code cause they didn't want to fix it, but then something happened. We actually fixed the problem, John, and we couldn't figure out why the machine wasn't working because we, we fixed the part that was broken, but we didn't rechange it back in the code. And, and I would also uh, to say to kind of Lewis's post here that this assumes or presumes that the, that, that we've built things like diagnostic screens earlier this year, I was working with a facility and literally they had a maintenance guy sit and stare at studio 5,000 all day, eight hours a day. He was just there sitting at staring at the studio 5,000 because there was no HMI there was no light sensor to, to, to be able to tell if something was opened or closed on the interlocks. And literally, if they didn't see it in Studio 5000, they were up on a ladder with a mirror trying to go look at what, what the lights were on the actual sensor itself. So th this assumes or presumes that, that, that we have gone through and actually built the things that, that we need to go through. Sarah, I'm super interested to get to you to go ask you some questions about your perspective. But first, we've got some people to thank, right? Vlad and I Manufacturing Hub would like to thank the folks at Siemens for supporting and sponsoring the, the Factory of the Future theme, as well as all of the amazing everything that we've done surrounding SPS over the course of this year. So Vlad and I are going to have a, a kind of trade show, a bit of everything recap SPS versus automate versus a bunch of the other things that we've done this year. Next week is our current plan. We might be able to bring some guests on for that as well. But we wanted to, to go throw John on. We wanted to go throw John on the hot seat, or maybe John has offered to, to go step and sit on the hot seat and give us a little bit of a rundown of, of why he chose Siemens or maybe why Siemens chose him for, for the, the second half of his career. John? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll do the, the ad spot for today instead of giving you something. But the reason that we do these sponsorships and these engagements is thought leadership to get it beyond our, our traditional Siemens product marketing managers or sales guys, um, but get it into uh, an opportunity where we have these kind of um, open dialogues on um, LinkedIn and YouTube, where our, our passionate controls engineers have an opportunity to talk about these topics. And that's why we sponsor these, these podcast techno technology thought leadership opportunities. This is why we invited you guys to go to SPS and that was an amazing visit. I was so excited to see you guys and Lewis and Karen and everybody participate from headquarters to meet you guys. That's what really is a lot of us here at Siemens are extremely passionate about the opportunity to solve problems for our customers and to take them into the future and to bring them to the reality and the interest of what these things are about. Absolutely. That was me when I hit my hand on the table. <laughs> no, I, I think I think that's perfect. That that is perfect, Sarah. I'd like to go back to you. We were talking about a bunch of technology, and I, I we asked John about his perspective on this newer style technology from the old grizzled industry veteran. I want to get your perspective on the, the newer technology. And John alluded to people who are coming out of college or a few years out of college are really excited about these newer technologies. Can you tell us both your perspective and your feelings as well as what you're hearing from people early in their career? Yeah. So I talked about it before is when I first 
came into the industry, not necessarily that it felt like a step back, that it was just, it was just different. You, you go into these plants, you go into these places where people have been using the same automation equipment for 30, 40 years. And that speaks well to the product, but sometimes it can be harder to grasp where technology stands in our industry now, because people are, are using things from 40 years ago. And so being able to take some of those systems, look to revamp them, to be able to enable the benefits of technology that we see today, a lot coming from IT, but we're still pulling from OT and we're still considering those environments and just trying to figure out where one can be improved with what we've learned from the other. And coming out of college, I think you really are looking for things that you're familiar with. You're looking for things that are known because you're entering a world that's so unknown and, and there's so many things that you don't understand. And I think coming from non-automation schooling to, to just learning all about PLCs and all about every single bell and whistle in a factory, it can be overwhelming. So seeing something that's familiar, being able to relate what you're learning now to something that you already know, I think it can be very rooting in your career and very comforting in that fact. And so that was something that I really appreciated in seeing this um, because it does align more so with what people are learning in universities today, not just in computer science. I wasn't a computer engineering major. I was an industrial engineering major. And from my general engineering courses my freshman year, we're, we're learning Python and we're learning C plus and we, Programming is just becoming so much more of a practice for everyone that I think it's a little, we, we can't really fight it. We, we need to adopt it. We need to see what it can do for us and, and just recognize that this is what people are interested in and, and where we see maybe the market going down the line. Yeah, so I went everywhere there, but I think it's just going in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction. Maybe it's been needed for a while. I don't think that anything that we're doing is really crazy, wild, not accomplishable. Maybe like sometimes we see some of the AI implementations. It's not as unknown, but it's just new for the industry. And I guess if I can follow up on that, Sarah, as well, and I think Obviously, there's the aspect of giving the the means of programming to the IT side. I think that's one easily understood benefit. But I think that the automation or the IT side, OT side, in my opinion, still, I think, doesn't see full value of the suite of IT tools that have been available. So I want to maybe go into that direction and ask you, like, what are people or customers telling you in terms of those CICD pipelines, the libraries they can reutilize, maybe the collaboration aspects, like how, or maybe what kind of success stories on that side are you seeing besides just giving the ability to code a PLC? I think there's a lot more benefits uh, that can be achieved with this. Yeah, it allows a number of different things. I think I mentioned earlier talking about in, we have a lot more remote work nowadays. We don't need everyone on a plant floor implementing things or testing things. A lot of these things can be done remotely, can be deployed remotely. I, we're in a changing world now and whether you like it or not, we need to adapt to it. And so being able to implement tools like this, maybe to them is a necessary evil. I, I don't know, but... <laughs> I think once you get past that initial maybe scare and start talking about what it can really do for your system, what it can really 
do for your efficiency, what it can do for your teams, I think you can really start getting into having meaningful conversations. I think when sitting down with John the first time we talked about AX, still being a little iffy about what this really meant for the industry or really where this could be applied and how this could be useful to our customers. And having conversations about how to begin to start implementing these things, beginning to just show people with a push button, reporting a library to do a push button on the demos that are right behind John right there and sitting down with him and being able to do that. Uh, I, I think the conversations really help to, to make people less, I don't want to say scared, but just more accepting of kind of the benefits that we see here. I think sometimes we can jump to conclusions and people want to swing one way or the other, but both have so many benefits in their own right when we talk about what we traditionally do in software development and what's traditionally be done in, done in automation. And there are positives to both and there are negatives to both. But when we can really have a conversation of what can be done when those two come together, I think that's just really what becomes powerful. The, the, the other thing I want to add to that is as the OT guy in the OT space, my experience has been that there are OT guys that evolve into that IT, IT strategy. So every time that I hear that OT, IT, I, I don't want, I, I don't like people thinking the IT department people are coming into the OT space. That's part of the um, generalization that's being used. But the reality is that when we go talk to the controls engineers and the automation engineers at some of the major companies that I've been visiting with, there are OT guys that are part of the department of the industrial controls department that want to do things the way that they do IT way of programming. And one of the meetings that I was part of as an OT guy, I don't understand all the, the libraries and all the things that Sarah and James Culp get into discussing, but the OT guy that they were presenting to did. James and this other customer went head to head on all these topics mm -hmm. that were way above my head because they were talking into that IT space. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it that the fact that the two of them were coming together. The one guy was a true integrator deploying projects. I think he was on your episode 132, Matt Paulson from AWC yep. Yep. and he claims to not be a programmer. He claims that he's an OT guy, but he's got the full package that he's doing. And he was talking ahead of James before James had a chance to explain his next thought regarding the concepts of what is inside Somatic AX and, and how to build it. And for me to sit back and watch that dynamic of these two geniuses go to town about what they're going to do in the future uh, with Sarah makes me feel good about retiring soon. Yeah, I think like I, I was just, okay. I was just going to say, have it, like I said, having that conversation, I think we try and put labels on it and it can scare some people your OT, but it's, it's not about a limitation. It's about an enablement to do the things that you're already wanting to do. We, we just have these labels that we've been using and continue to use for ability uh, to explain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one thing I was going to say since you brought Matt up, John. I think me and him had a lot of conversations off stream for many hours. And I think he's one of those guys that like actually understands it. And I think he doesn't need convincing anymore. So he truly understands like what's happening on the IT side. We talked about 
a lot of different benefits that are coming down into the OT space. And he's working at a distributor, right, which is a lot of a value add also. So they're not a pure just distributor play. They also do systems integration work. And I've had, like I said, many hours conversations with him explaining how he's helping his OT guys understand what's possible and ultimately build out the right tools for the automation industry. And I think that's, he's going to be one of those guys that sort of leads and pushes the industry forward. So if you've not heard that episode, it was extremely interesting. I will say at the very least speaking for myself, and I think he has a lot more ideas than even we can discuss here from the, like when it comes to (laughs) IT going into the OT space. And those changes are only going to accelerate, at least in my opinion. I think they're going to fundamentally change how we build software, how we test software, how as you mentioned, Sarah, how we connect to software, how we collaborate on software. I think it's it's really interesting. And he's going to be one of those guys who, like I said, helps us change the industry. Yeah, I think it's going to evolve. I think it's going to evolve where what we're doing a little bit, he's doing his libraries, he's doing his openness, mm-hmm. but now he's going to evolve. He's going to evolve and he's going to merge in some somatic AX. And it's going to be a nice, fluent uh, evolution. It's not going to be, I have to stop doing everything, what I'm going to do and reinvent. And that's what I feel so significantly impassionate about what I see Siemens do with all of these things is it allows somebody that really has a process and really gets it to evolve into the other stool, into the other solutions for the future. It makes it easier, less risky, less costly, pretty significant. Absolutely. I agree. We had an awesome conversation with Matt. I think Matt knew more names of Siemens things and what they actually do than maybe any other living person. Certainly more than I think anyone else, including all of, maybe all of the Siemens employees combined, knew as many of the intricacies of, of all of the Siemens products as Matt did. It was absolutely uh, exceptionally impressive. I would certainly suggest that you guys take a listen to that. Um, if any other episode very much fits into the future of the, the factory of the future, um, the conversation we had with Matt 100% would. But talking about future, I want to go transition this conversation into a question that both Sarah and John know is coming. And John, I'm going to go. I'm going to go ahead and start with you to give Sarah maybe a couple more seconds to go think about this. But when we're talking about the future, what do you think that the factory of the future looks like in the next three to five years? I think it's going to be more autonomous and more continuous integration strategies. I, I believe it's going to have more of these IT processes in play, so that the automation solutions are part of an intricate solution where it's managed, it's versioned, it's ensured that it's kept up and it's tested, unit tested and validated, and that there's confidence that I know what's running my plan. I, I think that the concepts that we've been talking about from the concept of the digital thread, from the conception of the product through the conception and the design of the machine and the processes are going to become more integrated with the concepts of the electrical design and the automation and that virtual commissioning. I really think there's going to be a lot more virtualization, revalidation of a change to the plant so that there's not a mechanical design moving forward to, to do a plant or a machine without first knowing for sure that it's been ran through all the paces with virtual commissioning. And and I think that the ultimate design environment is going to blend with the traditional concepts of some of the TI portal together with some of the concepts of the Somatic AX and other other technologies. And I really believe the concepts of the edge ecosystem, 
I think that's offering an opportunity to put a device, a, a component into the industrial runtime environment, the production environment that offers a unique way to, to offer an application that is open on the edge ecosystem and does the functionality of the PLC, the HMI, the IO, the safety, the network, all the components that used to be all conglomerated into one, but now broken out into little apps that all collaborate together like our phones and our devices do. So I, I think all of these unique technologies are going to come together for the entire manufacturing process. Um, and it, it is fundamentally everybody, all the vendors are jumping on all these different topics and participating a little bit. But honestly, I can look back to the vision of what Siemens started out and committed to 15, 20 years ago. This was where they planned it to go. And then you've got the AI and the chat DP and the other stuff, chat DP. Absolutely. No. Thank you so much for that, John. Sarah, I feel like John has taken like all of the major buzzwords uh, of everything. Yeah, that, that I know. Possibly, like, yeah. what am I going to say now? But I, we, we do want to get your perspective of, of what do you think that the factory of the future is going to look like? If you want to go within the next three to five years, or if you want to go way beyond that to, to get beyond oh. John, you are more than welcome to go in whichever direction you'd like to go. I think we've seen a number of things in these past couple months, in these past couple years that are really telling of where the market's going and what the customers are asking for with things being our practices being brought from software development. When we talk about our customers innovating faster than ever, our customers changing their factory lines faster than ever. We talk about consumers being such a, a changing market and requiring more maybe than we've ever seen. And so we talk about the needs that come from that, being able to change our lines faster, being able to adapt to those changes, being able to you know, get something, have someone place the order in, and it just automatically start packing or start producing. Seeing things that are more efficient in that manner and just really allowing our customers to, to innovate in a way that we don't restrict them in to innovate a way that we're not limiting them. They're not asking us for, for permission for things, whether they want to, to run their entire factory line on some uh, remote data center, two miles, five miles, 30 miles away, that they're enabled to do that. I think there's a lot changing in the market right now, but it's really just about the freedom that I maybe we haven't seen before for our customers to, to truly find what works for mm -hmm. them what works for their customers, what works for all of us as, as a consumer population. Absolutely. No, I, flexibility, yeah. Absolutely. No, yeah. I, I, I love that, that flexibility. And when we go talk about the future, right, we're going to certainly need more people to, to come into the industry to, to go replace a bunch of folks. John may or may not go retire at, at some point. I, I'm, I'm more on the I don't think he's going to. Um, he still has four other continents that he hasn't worked with Siemens yet. So, so I, I feel like the, 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 you still got a bunch of the career um, left to go there, John. But Sarah, I want to go ask for, for some career advice, right? So you talked about some really interesting opportunities. John talked a bit about a co-op, but you, you talked about some interesting opportunities that you had early in your career. What type of career advice would you give to industrial engineers, maybe people interested in automation, maybe people who don't know what automation is during, during the end of their college career and early into their career, please? 
Yeah. So one thing I think over the past couple of years, I've really realized the value of is the development programs that these companies offer that I think maybe aren't as exposed as a lot of people would like them to be. Or just people don't have the knowledge of them. I coming out of school was doing tons and tons of research into what possible jobs could I go into? I think it's so scary coming out of school being like, all right, now I have to pick a job that I'm going to work for at minimum like a year, but then for five years and that starts the catalyst for the rest of your career. It's, that's scary to, to place that on, on someone so young. And so I think it's so great that these companies do these development programs, companies like Siemens, but it goes outside of Siemens and really being able to test the waters in different areas. I know for Siemens, I speak from experience, we rotate through six months in different divisions, working on different projects, getting exposure to different things. And that is so valuable in, in terms of your career. And I think expedites it and not only a way for career growth, but just in a learning manner, in a way for knowing that your next step is going to be something that's right for you. I, I think I'm so much more secure in my job now because I was able to be exposed to to different things and be able to see what I liked and what I didn't like. There, there are things that you may not like when you go through your first job, but being able to know that, okay, if you're in that role, you only have to do it for six months. That's a lot easier to work through. So I really encourage people coming out of college to get out and test the waters, whether that be taking full opportunity of the internships available, full opportunity of co-ops available, and full opportunity of these development programs that are available. There's some really great programs out there. They're pouring resources into you, and they're really putting the value that you deserve into the, the people that are going to be the next generation of their company. And, and so that's what I, I can give for early career advice. I'm really passionate about that. And anytime anyone asks me, that's the first thing I encourage. I have a question, Sarah. How, <laughs> how many rotations did you? Oh, John, pipe <laughs> down over there. I love development programs. John's laughing. There was, I, I got the opportunity because I saw this role and I enjoyed it. So I did happen to leave the program early, but it doesn't discourage from the fact of how big of a success I think development programs are and how great they are for the next generation um, of workers. I would almost say the fact that you saw something and were able to move directly into that role is a success of the development program as opposed to a rigidity of you've got to go do four or five or however many the, the, the normal yeah. rotations are. I, I will say yeah. we've talked to a number of people, Louis, Louis Navarez, and, and who's in the comments, I will have to go pull his episode number. I believe he came through the development program and I believe mm -hmm. Amanda beaten um also came through yes. the development program and th yes. this was early on in the show this was probably in the 20s or 30s of episodes and i think vlad and i had like literally 90 minutes of questions about these development programs and i think he and i have had this conversation <laughs> of man if we had to go do it over be it with siemens or be it with someone else who does offer these rotational development programs or, or co-ops as, as john talked about earlier i think all of those are absolutely Fantastic. Sarah, n another question for you is, as you now know, we, we like to ask people uh, if they've got a book and, and or some content recommendations um, just for, for people who, who might be so interested. Um, as I think Vlad said, I, th I think he has downloaded more than 100 book recommendations already. I I'm probably a, a, a couple of dozen behind that, but would love to know your thoughts on book or and or content recommendation, please. 
first i can't recommend better content than the manufacturing hub podcast and, and you will be <laughs> i'd say that. definitely you, start with that one yes yes uh, and i think also vlad and i talked about solus plc the other day such a great tool for learning i think companies don't always have the best internal learning tools and being able to rely on some of these external resources for learning so powerful so great I think a little bit of an easier way to learn than some of the internal tools that we have as well. And so just those two things are great in of itself. I, I was thinking about a book the other day and what I could recommend. And I think I speak for myself. I'm very much a people person. I'm very much a people pleaser. So sometimes it can be hard coming into the workforce and trying to find the balance. So uh, a book I'd recommend is The Courage to be Disliked. Okay. Uh, I'm going to butcher the author's name, so I'm not going to try and say it. But if you do have the chance to to read that book, I think it's really powerful for people maybe like myself who who tend to always want to portray themselves in a certain way. Awesome. That no, is I, good. I think That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, I, go, go ahead, ahead, John. No, I think that is a really good recommendation because there's, there are certain people that don't, they're afraid or they hold back versus... Mm -hmm knowing how to debate and have a dialogue yeah. for fear of being disliked for the fact that they stood up. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I'm looking at that. I feel like that will be a purchase or more so on my site, a download from the library. If the library has that, I, I love j just the name and the, the title in and of itself. It may be something that Vlad listens to or reads on the way home. We've got a comment in here from Jim. Uh, talking about the leadership development program. Three of the employees on his team are from the program. <laughs> All awesome, even Lewis. No, th thank you for that, Jim. S super appreciate that. And then we we've got, excuse me, one last question for both of you. And Sarah, we will start with you. It it's very much who should reach out? How can our listeners help you in, in open platform, either on Somatic AX or technology or anything that our listeners can do to help you? Yeah, I'd say some of the conversations I've seen on not only y'all's podcast, but on other people's posts as well, just putting your thoughts out into the world. I look and I read these things. I want to see what people's opinions are on if it, they think it's the right direction or what they would do differently. I think being able to have a conversation about maybe what you think we're doing wrong or what could be improved, I think is really great conversations to have. I love, love, love getting feedback from people on those sorts of things. So I'd say listeners, keep doing what you're doing. Keep your harsh comments, keep your good comments, all good, bad in between. I'd say th those are all great. Absolutely. I agree with that. I will say I have told Vlad a couple of times that I feel like we really hit the mark when someone dislikes a clip or something that, that we have put out because it is all too truthful if we've got people reacting like that. But John, same question to you is how can our listeners help you? Yeah, absolutely. The best is reaching out like Sarah mentioned and put their comments. And, and it is better if they can explain themselves without being the negative. <laughs> There's a comment I had this week that I just chose not to respond to, but because it's one of those that he's not giving me an opportunity to explain the reasons, but there's a lot of new technologies and a lot of people have fear or concerns and, and there, and sometimes it's, I don't see how that fits or where does that fit? Uh, another argument I've had or discussion is TAP portal in the cloud and the, the feedback or the argument is, 
from somebody that where, why, and, and there are reasons for it. And you mm-hmm. just have to look to have a perspective of where it fits. And I love having those dialogues where I get a chance to explain the fact that there's again, flexibility in how we do things and that there's more options and there's more features installed in the cloud session than what I might want to put on my local session. And my local session might be for the local machine, whereas the cloud might be for my development world or other migration strategies. But reach out to us. We love doing these engagements with the customers where we walk through these different strategies and these different topics so that we can help customers see the light and visualize how they can get to where they need to go in their world. Absolutely. No, John, Sarah, thank you both so much for, for coming and talking, talking with us. Everyone, thank you for coming to hang out. This has been Manufacturing Hub episode 145. I literally have no idea how we get here. I have to go double check the numbers like every third week to make sure that we haven't added an extra 50 or 100 of them somewhere. But thank you to Siemens for going and sponsoring this episode, this theme and everything you do with SPS. If you guys have made it this far and you're watching on LinkedIn, Please make sure that you're connected with with Sarah and John. The the LinkedIn is, is again, where we have most of our interaction. So make sure you're connected with with Sarah and John. Please feel free to follow along Manufacturing Hub as well as Vlad and myself to make sure you've got all of the most up-to-date information. If you guys have made it this far on podcast form, please remember to rate us five stars everywhere you can possibly rate us five stars. Hit the follow button. Go ahead and automatically download. I have found that if I ask people to go do that, people do that and we can share and all of these other things and more people find us and we get questions from new people. And it is absolutely awesome. Until next week, we'll see everyone soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.